0: ministry in the church can be life-giving and life-changing and in the midst of it we all need faithful companions along the road. Welcome to Along the Road, a podcast on faith and leadership for ministry leaders of the PCUSA. So you're a church leader serving as a ruling elder or a deacon but you also have almost a dozen other roles. Sibling, parent, friend, biker, Landscape architect, chauffeur, builder, grocer, fill in the blank. Come join us in the midst of your day, wherever you are, to be inspired in your role in the church, become nourished, and renew your call. Formation as a leader doesn't happen all at once. So let's walk along this road together. I'm Martha Miller, and I'm excited to travel on this journey with you. It's a gift to have Nancy Taylor with us on the podcast today. Among her many roles, Nancy serves as the Executive Director of the Presbyterian Historical Society and is a PCUSA Deacon. I'm excited to be able to hear Nancy's story today. Welcome, Nancy. And as we begin our time, it may be helpful for you to give us your elevator speech about the Presbyterian Historical Society, after all, my guess is there may be a listener or two who may not be familiar with the ministry there.
1: The Presbyterian Historical Society is the oldest and one of the largest denominational archives in the United States. It actually was founded in 1852 oh. by the Presbyterian Church in the USA Old School um, at that point. And it has always been located in Philadelphia. We are a office under the Office of the General Assembly. So we are definitely situated within the national level of the PCUSA. Um, We serve as the archives for the whole denomination. Uh, there, There are no regional or local small Presbyterian archives that can officially hold records of the church. So that means that we, our collections come from congregations from all over the country, from Alaska, Hawaii, We also have records of mission work over the last 160 plus years, and as I hope folks know, Presbyterians have served as missionaries both all over the kind of domestic United States, but really almost all over the world. So it's a very large collection, very diverse. I think it's incredibly interesting. We both liaise with people in the denomination to help them understand what kinds of records they need to create, how to preserve them, which ones have lasting permanent value. We encourage folks to deposit records with us from congregations, big councils, and national agency offices. But we also do a lot of intentional collecting to have Records that tell stories that aren't necessarily captured in, for example, the session minutes (laughs) or the official reports that are submitted to the General Assembly. So we take in a lot of personal papers that might contain people's correspondence, their diaries as they were serving as mission co-workers, their photographs that they took to document their service. And we supplement all that with oral histories with motion pictures, with ecumenical records, because Presbyterians have been very active in a lot of the ecumenical, large ecumenical organizations in the United States, like the National Council of Churches, for example. It's a large collection. We have a staff of about 20 people, and we have now our own building in Philadelphia.
0: Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining all that you do. I know that some folks who may not be directly connected with some of those specifics of their congregation really will appreciate hearing what PHS does and the, the great ministry that you all have in capturing our history and our data. That's great. Thank you for that. In addition to your ministry with the Historical Society in Philadelphia, You're also a deacon, something many of our listeners can identify with. Can you tell me something about that service or how your gifts
1: were identified and how they've been used? Yes, so I'm a member of Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church, which is in a suburb of Philadelphia. I was raised a Presbyterian. My parents and my church as I was growing up, um, first in Montana and then primarily in Austin, Texas, we didn't talk about having a call right and mm-hmm. uh, unless you thought you were going to go into ordained ministry right um and so when i moved to this area and joined Mawr presbyterian church i was really attracted by the social justice mission aspect of that congregation mm-hmm. and had kind of a vague sense of I wanted to get involved in some of those programs. I was had already started my work at the Press Train Historical Society. And I had this weird notion in the beginning that I had to keep those two things separate. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I had my like work life at PHS yeah. and then my life at Bryn Presbyterian Church. And I got almost immediately asked to serve on the Outreach Council, which that is basically a group of volunteers that help to um, talk about and administer the mission programs, particularly in West Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I was flattered and said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I got recruited at the new member (laughs) orientation and kind of approval by session. So I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I said yes. And that was the first time I started to really be more involved in what I would call the mission work of, of my congregation. I had some health issues that came up and I had to basically say I couldn't continue to serve on the outreach council. In the meantime, however, I had just coincidentally, when I first started attending church, first we sat on opposite ends of the pew, so me and this woman um, named Carol Pyle, and she was just so gracious and welcoming, and so we kind of moved close together and and had this relationship that was really supportive, and she was interested in me as a person, in me and my work at PHS, and. It was Carol that nominated me to be a deacon. We did not talk about it in advance other than she said she was going to do it. And was that okay with me? And I said, (laughs) yes. Um, I would not necessarily have thought that that would be the slot that would most serve my gifts at that point. And again, I was not really thinking about this in any way as a sense of call, but I had... Great respect for Carol, and it was, again, a way for me to get back more involved in the life of the church. I didn't necessarily think of myself as a leader at that point either, but I said yes to the nomination, and then I I was chosen to be a deacon. This was well before the pandemic, so the deacons at that point were involved in a lot of the ministry to members of the congregation, in particular, older members of the congregation. We, for example, would visit folks in retirement sites, deliver flowers. So the the big kind of bouquets at the front of the church would get broken down and we would deliver flowers. We would pray with people when we did that, but really just visit, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I got to know a whole group of people that I was not really interacting with and I would say the best visits gave me something, right? So mm-hmm. I felt like, yes, I was I was bringing a contact as someone to talk to. But people would share with me, especially longtime members, you know, either they would talk about past experiences when they were able to come to church. They would ask me about how things were going. It was just a really a great way to connect with people. I ended up serving six years as a deacon and the last, so two terms of three years and the, the last year was during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. all of that in-person interaction just stopped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of my last, uh, official time as a deacon was just weird, right? I mean, we were meeting on Zoom. We were trying to do what we could do. We could not. Except for the very end, kind of visit people in person. So we were making phone calls. We were trying to get people to make soup that the staff could take. It was, it was just a real break. So that's all to talk about my service as a deacon. But what really came out of that and what has kind of led me to continue to, to be where I am currently is that when I first started serving as a deacon, Um, You also had the chance to serve in another ministry of the church. And one of the options was to be a member of the Hunger Committee. Hmm. And so that's what I chose. It just seemed interesting. Again, I I didn't have any kind of like, oh, hunger or nothing, right? I mean, that Mm -hmm. was just something that called to me. So I started attending the monthly hunger committee meetings. We do not have a line in the church budget. So it's all based on um, contributions that people make, that congregation members make to the hunger fund. We had responsibility for liaising with various hunger ministries in the general Philadelphia area, um, distributing that money, making casseroles. We usually make about 125 casseroles every month that are used wow. to, like sit-down meals at various places. Collecting and distributing non-perishable food. So initially, I was just a member of the hunger committee, and then I got asked if I would chair the hunger committee, and I agreed. <laughs> I've also now taken over coordinating the casserole blitzes. So, um, and this was a process over, again, six or seven years. And at this point, I can kind of trace back all those little steps. And mm-hmm. I, I can trace a sense of call and I can trace how those things have come together to kind of transform me from kind of leading from behind to leading from in front. hmm and I will also say that I no longer think I have to keep my church life and my work <laughs> life separate. And so, you know, I, I can see how this has evolved and it's been a path that I think has really worked for me, but it's not necessarily something that there is not, you know, one way. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so anyway. I really, really
0: appreciate hearing your story, Nancy. And I think, there are so many ways that people can connect to your story. One of those being that you might not have felt that sense of call in yourself or identified it as call, maybe is a better way of saying mm-hmm. it. But it was identified by someone else yes. who, who saw your gifts and both for leadership. As well as the specifics for the ministry of deacon. And so you may have gone into it not knowing exactly what you were getting into, but looking back, you might be able to see God's plan through that and how you were touched by someone else and somebody else's identifying gifts. And I think that's. So important for us as Christians to remember that that's part of our call, too, is to try to identify those gifts in those around us and how God might be able to use them. Because as you said, you just started sitting in a pew with somebody and you you never know what that turns into. I think the other piece that you've said a couple of times that I think folks can identify with is how we don't always see the connection between our all of the roles that we hold in life between our work and between our faith life and how how that really is a process too for us to get to know ourselves as we grow in relationship with God and how all those things connect. So I think your, your, your story is a great illustration of a lot of that, a really good playing out. And I love that even though your active service as a deacon has ended for the time how that ministry is continuing for you and you're able to see how God is continuing to work as well. So thank you for sharing all of that. And and we are continually being formed as leaders in in the church. Since you have the chance, everybody's here listening to you, what might you say to them as they're in a process of forming? Is there advice or words that you might speak to these leaders in the church?
1: I guess I would reiterate that I don't think there's any one path or any one way to Mm -hmm. sense that you are a leader and how you can bring your different skills to that. Back a little bit to what you were just saying, how initially I felt like I, I I was coming into a new congregation. I really wanted to not just be the person who worked for the PCUSA or for the PHS, right? It just felt to me at that point that I wanted to kind of stand as a as a person who was going to develop new connections and carve out a place for myself in that congregation over the years as I, as i said that's really completely broken down and i think it was part of a maturing process for me and my and my faith as well i i can't really explain exactly why i felt having that divide was so important initially but now i it doesn't seem to be really important at all. <laughs> and I think that also, as i the longer I worked at the Historical Society, the more kind of leadership I took at the Historical Society, the more I honed my skills as someone who could bring people together to set kind of a a way of having discussions and running meetings that I felt um honored. All voices as much as possible that sought people's different kinds of input that really tried to keep a coherent team of people together working Mm -hmm. for at least what we hope would identify as a, as a common purpose, right? We're all human. It doesn't always work as well as we might like. Those kind of skills that are more Quote unquote work related turned out to be, I think, things that people saw in me when they approached me to be a leader. And these two things that I thought were separate have really come together in a way that feels to me like a real blessing. And it's not always easy, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause I have a full time job and then I have all the work I do at the church, but I see a lot of other folks juggling all that as well. I would say where I am currently as kind of following a sense of call and being open to the spirit and open to opportunity. And I think if people can kind of approach things that way, they may find themselves in a position as they may never have imagined. Just reaffirm that you have gifts, right? So some mm-hmm. of the ways that people helped me in the past, I I am trying to to turn that around and just acknowledge the great contributions that people bring from so many different perspectives.
0: Thank you so much, Nancy. I really appreciate you being willing to share your story. I know that so many folks who are listening can really relate in a lot of ways, even if their role is different from working for the church. They have those roles that that they can really connect with your story I know that it's enriched many and I appreciate you lifting up the unique ministry of deacons as well. So thank you not only for joining us today, but also for sharing your gifts with the whole church. We hope that you have been nourished through this episode of Along the Road. You're invited to visit the website for PCUSA Leader Formation for additional nourishment for ruling elders and deacons. PCUSA.org slash leader dash formation. This has been the Along the Road Podcast. We look forward to crossing paths with you again soon.